Welcome back to episode number 12 on the wealth of self. Kiana Ebony Brown joins me in the studio today to discuss her journey to becoming an Emmy award-winning writer. Yes, you heard that correctly. Growing up as an only child to a single mom in DC, Kiana wasn't raised to be a stereotypical girl. Her mom allowed her to be a child first and foremost and let her curiosity, creativity, and explorative nature guide her growth. This nonlinear rearing method provided Kayana with the flexibility to engage with a variety of subjects that she found to be interesting. But she often references her early interest in sports as a foundational element to the work she does now on many major sports-related pieces of content. It wasn't until Kayana identified her own ability to control her perceptions and her reality that she began to truly flourish within the creative space. This allowed her to navigate away from the very dark roads and past failures so that she was no longer operating from a place of fear, but rather a place of confidence and control. She distinctly remembers reading Neil Donald Walsh's book, Conversations with God, which changed her life and her outlook on what was possible for her future. She read this at the beginning of the global pandemic, and this uncertain period of time made her ask, why not? And was a catalyst for her to begin networking with other creative professionals more seriously than she had in the past. Her embodiment of the phrase, you'll see it when you believe it, reinforces her narrative about controlling her own reality and is a guiding force in the routines and methodologies she employs in order to find success with her creative processes. Her writing has opened the doors to working with some of the world's most high-caliber talent, such as Viola Davis, on some of the biggest stages, a.k.a. the Super Bowl. It's an incredible honor to know and to have worked with Kayana inside the creative space, and her career trajectory is scaling at an impressive rate, which is to be expected when you're as talented as she is. I'm glad you're along for the ride. So let's jump into this episode with Kayana Ebony Brown. Welcome back from our intro. This is episode number 12 on the wealth of self. And I'm I'm excited now because I've got somebody I look up to a lot in the studio. This really? is really yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. This is Kayana Brown, a creative Ebony. mastermind. Cre- uh, yes, Kayana Ebony Brown. <laughs> and uh, this is someone who I've had the I've had the chance to work with you on a couple of occasions on a really amazing project that I'll hope we'll talk about here in a little bit. But um I, I just say I admire your creative journey so much, and uh, more recently, I've really you know looked to you for advice on how you approach the creative process and how you've been able to make a name for yourself in this space as you continue to grow. But 
I wanted to turn it over to you for your own introduction, and we'll kind of jump in here and, and paint this picture for the viewers and the listeners out there. But thanks for coming in. I appreciate that. And I Absolutely. didn't know you, you admired me, so that makes me feel... Oh my gosh, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. I, I'm a storyteller, so that can be categorized across the board. I mean, really yeah. much of it. But I... Um, I mostly write screenplays and I do write some prose. So I have like mm -hmm. a few books and things like that. Yeah. Um, I lean on the screenplay a lot. I do about 50%. I jokingly say I do 50% features, 50% TV mm -hmm. and 50% unscripted. Get that <laughs> so extra, that right? overtime in yeah. there. But um, what that means is there's another world of storytelling that yeah. is considered unscripted yeah. because you don't technically write the script going into it. Mm -hmm. um, you don't write it afterward either, but you, you don't structure it in that way. You kind of know, at least for me, I know the story going into it. Right. And I write sort of the script afterward based mm -hmm. on the transcript of what, whoever I'm speaking to. And that's, you know, I'm saying a lot of words, but that's essentially documentaries, docu-series, those kinds yeah. of things that fall into that alternative space of storytelling. Right. And funny enough that I've been doing narrative or scripted stories for my entire, literally my entire life. Yeah. You said um, all the way back to when, before you were even <laughs> writing or reading, really, you were, that was creative brain, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, my mom used to read stories to me when I was like a baby. And yeah, same, same. The thing for me is like, because, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more and in, in how she, you know, allowed me to kind of ex be an explorer. Yes. But she, I would hear things like Little Red Riding Hood. I'm like, I could do that. Yeah. You know, I, right? I remember being like in, in third grade and the teacher would read Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. And that was my thing. Like those scary stories. But in my mind, I was like, I could do that. Yeah. Like you can tell me I had so much confidence in my artistic ability as mm -hmm. a child. <laughs> I was like, anything that I saw, I was like. I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> so when the, with the storytelling, that goes way back. Mm -hmm. And I was always writing stories about any and everything because I yeah. felt like I could do that. And so um, now it manifests itself in so many different forms and formats, right. but primarily in the uh, film and TV arena and mm -hmm. the unscripted world. Yeah. Um, of storytelling uh, in that space. So um, I absolutely love it. I, in some of these ways, the unscripted stuff has been primarily sports and sports related, mm -hmm. which again, as a kid, yes. sports was my thing. Yes. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the stories have, have come from there, but most of the accolades and success and things like that have come from the sports world. And You're right. Right. It's, it's, I embrace it, but I did not anticipate that. That yeah. wasn't on the vision board. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. And, and you've <laughs> had the opportunity, you know, to work on some incredible stuff that's been highly visible and people might not know that, but we'll get into it. <laughs> and uh, for those who are watching or listening, go check it out because there are some awesome pieces. But one of the things I've always appreciated about you since getting uh, to know you more is that you've always got a creative story or an idea that is in the works. And that just sort of comes out even in just normal conversation on the drive over. You know, we were talking about a piece that you're working on right now. And <laughs> it's just like, I think that whenever you're, you're seriously passionate about a subject, it's every day. It's just it the way you live. Um, and, and I think that you have embodied that as you've developed into this amazing writer that you are now. But for the viewing audience, I always try to do this for them, but taking them back, painting that picture of how you got started and sort of that early life journey and how it informed those next steps. So you're a DC girl. 
right? Yep. Born and Born raised. raised. Yeah, uh, right here. Let's paint that picture for the viewers <laughs> and the listeners. It's so funny because we, when we spoke briefly about this, I was like, I have this, I have an odd way of remembering things where I remember that something happened. Yeah. But as far more as factual, right? More fa- like I remember that I grew up on this street, but yes. can I remember any stories that happened on that street? Probably not. <laughs> Oddly, I don't remember the stories, right? Yeah. So I remember that, you know, um, we spoke a lot about my mom because she's, mm-hmm. she, I live with her still today. It's so yeah. funny, but, but she, her story, her influence on me and how she raised me comes up a lot now when I'm having a lot of meetings because I've been having a lot of meetings with, with people within my business right? and how it contributes to who I am in the stories mm-hmm. because she, I feel like she was ahead of her time. Yeah, Like we, we, we have a lot of language and conversations now and people are misusing the word woke you know for some reason i'm not going to go down that road but i don't think they know what they're talking about (laughs) they don't even know how to define the word they just like to use it and throw it around right right but she didn't really raise look for instance she when she was pregnant Mm -hmm. uh she didn't go and she would have probably scoffed at a gender reveal she's like what the hell is a gender reveal she didn't go and figure out or try to figure out what gender her kid was it wasn't hashtag trending at that time (laughs) she didn't care about that it was like i'm having a kid i hope it's a healthy kid right right exactly so she just painted the room yellow yeah i know i'm having a kid i'm gonna paint the room yellow yeah and that's what it was. It wasn't blue or pink because mm-hmm. even if you have a boy, who's to say he doesn't like pink? Exactly. If you have a girl, you, I like blue. How are you going to you know? know? <laughs> so, you know, she didn't do all of that. Right. So she painted the room yellow. She come out, she has a little baby girl. So, um, <laughs> and that, does that have any roots to your own color palette that you use professionally? Cause can Ebony Brown, you've got <laughs> a yellow sort of <laughs> color palette for a lot of what you do. Really? I didn't know that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think so. I okay, try to I usually gotcha. base that kind of stuff with re- respect to whatever the story is. Yeah, you know, exactly. those golden embers and things like yeah. that we try to emphasize. Yeah. yeah. But that's usually more specific to uh with regard to whatever the story is. Right. Yeah. Um but maybe unconsciously, I don't know. I yeah. never really truly thought about it that thought about it that way. Right. But um, you know, in thinking back like that, well, okay, mm-hmm. she has this kid. And so yeah. that's all she cared about. Right. I've got a healthy kid. And so she allowed me to be a child. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we even hear today, even still today, you have people talking about what girls are supposed to do, or what boys are supposed to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. Fighting other genders. Traditional just, social norms. Exactly. Yep. And just resisting and fighting that there could possibly be, like, we've evolved as humans, and I won't go down that whole thing, but right. this human evolution is always, it's constant. Yep. So we're fighting, you know, that there could possibly be some other genders, yeah. you know, available <laughs> yeah. out there. You know, these people must be, that whole thing. But she was able to allow me to be a child. Right. So if I went into a toy store and I saw a football, that's what I want. I want a football. Yeah. I got a football. Yeah. You know, if I went in there and I saw a little doll or, you know, and I wanted to do that, you know, I had a little cousin, a girl cousin who always played with dolls. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool that she's doing her hair like that. You know, that that was my thought. Yeah. I literally like what she's doing with her easy bake oven type of thing. So (laughs) I ate the cookies. I won't lie, but I didn't have an easy bake oven. Yeah. But, you know, the point is, I had to- toys that were for girls and I had toys right. that were for boys. I played sports. I was mm-hmm. very much into music Yeah, and not a singer or a songwriter, but I was a DJ. Like I asked for vinyl records. Yeah. I wanted to start my vinyl collect, you know, things like that. And right. so it was like, she went out and got a few little record player, got a couple of yep. vinyl pieces. Yep. <laughs> Cause I wanted to be a real DJ, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was just like, 
you know, it, I was I was an only child, so it was probably probably spoiled, not rotten. You know, mm-hmm. I had respect and stuff, but I wasn't, you know, wasn't rotten. But definitely, I was spoiled. I, I will admit to that. Yeah. But I think that it did contribute to me being an explorer, right? Like me being a, a kid who always asked questions. Yeah. And if she didn't have the answer, which she'll admit most of the time she didn't have the answers to the questions I was asking. I think most most parents don't, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't like, you know, either trying to A, make up an answer, right. B, giving me some wrong answer that they knew from something someone else told them. Right. She went with always went with C, which was, let's just go figure this thing out. Let yeah. me go get a book from the library or let me just, you know, go somewhere and ask someone else who yeah. might have the answer Start to asking that question. questions, right. right? Right. And I think that that really contributed to... The storytelling, because it's like right. once you figure out the answer, like how did the Earth start? We okay, well maybe there was like this big bang. Oh, it's a big bang. Yeah. Oh, okay. So then I'm writing stories. Most of my stories have some space elements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, you know, I had telescopes and all that because right. I, I needed like that was my thing. Yeah. Science and and things like that. So it was just always if this is what the kid is interested in, mm-hmm. let the kid be a kid, ask questions. Let's just nurture it and see right. where it goes. I'm not a scientist. I sucked at science when I was in school. But before I got to that advanced level, I was right. looking at stars all the time. I yeah. was playing with chemistry sets. That was my thing. I had train sets. That yeah. Those were my thing. And those are some of the best toys, by the way. Oh, yeah. Some of the best. That, that was, that's what I, I like to do. And I think that all of that contributed to storytelling, like being this explorer. Yeah. And you're always communicating with people and communicating with, ex- well, really communicating with your experiences mm-hmm. in a certain way that maybe other people don't, or maybe other people take for granted, or they mm-hmm. just, you just, just don't pay it any attention. Everything meant something to me. Right. And even if I don't remember the exact storyline to playing with a train set or something like that, transportation plays, if you come in my house, I have little model cars everywhere. Yeah. And again, that looks like something you walk into and that's what? A boy's house. A boy's toy, right? Yeah. Right. But no, I love classic cars. Yeah. I talk, I have that conversation with my uncle. Yeah. Um, So, so many little things. I can have these various conversations with people. We're always talking about the 65 Chevy he's working on. Mm-hmm. We always talk about that. So it's just, you know, it's, it's always having these experiences where you can have these various conversations yeah. with people and connect with people. And when you right. connect with people, that leads to them opening up. And when exactly. they open up, they're telling you what? Their story, right? Yep. Yep. And so you're getting fodder for your next screenplay. Right, exactly. <laughs> your next book. It's inspiration around exactly. every corner. Exactly. Right? But I think that that sort of varied upbringing and having all these different influences very much was a, an informative force for what you do now. Uh, you know, when you're pigeonholing yourself into one route, it can kind of create a linear mind and a linear mm-hmm. mindset. Uh, but to know that you had all these influences from all different directions, I mean, what better upbringing to create someone who is a writer, essentially. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's funny because I didn't necessarily, I mean, I don't think any kid knows ex- exactly what they're going to do. Right. You know, the parents may say, she's messing with those words a little too often. She's probably yeah. going to end up writing something when she gets older. I think my grand, I spoke, I talked a lot. I think my grandparents probably thought I would be someone who was a public speaker. And I'm not not a public speaker. I yeah. do want to do a TED Talk one day. Hey, but <laughs> in the future, it's coming. Exactly. But for now, it's it's more, um, again, exploring stories in a, in a different way. Yeah. And I think that it, you're right. It could be, it evolve into, you know, a more vocal or verbal mm-hmm. uh, way of doing that outside. That's not fiction based because I right. do, you know, acting. I love that. But as far as standing in front of folks and, and being able to keynote or whatever the case may be, yeah. uh, I think that's down the line. I really am open to it. Yeah. 
you made some references to music and sports being such influential influential factors in your upbringing, and I think that has direct ties into what you do now professionally, where you're writing so much for sports networks. Um, what, what did that look like, and what were some of those influences in early age whenever you were starting to get involved with more sports or more musical elements? So I'll take music first. Sure. <laughs> so again, super. I probably might have been between five and seven, maybe let's just say six mm-hmm. <laughs> that, um, you know, I'm like, I want to do something with music, you know, with my hands on. And I, it, you know, I played a few instruments just to toy around with probably had a toy guitar or something, but it mm. was, you know, DJing and creating music and kind of yeah. doing that kind of thing. And fast forward because then, you know, I'm again, not remembering all the stories to it, but music just playing such a big influence mm-hmm. and fast forward to, I don't even, maybe 12 years ago now, a good friend of mine who I met doing a just a random gig job at a, it was going to be a social media startup for, I think like the hip hop industry. I don't even remember, remember the name of it. Nice. It was a startup in yeah. this area. It, I, I don't think it really went anywhere, mm. but I was at the time looking for a gig and I met uh, this really cool musician there. And, you know, you talk to people and he knew right. that I had, he had learned that I was, into radio. I had done some stuff on the radio and mm-hmm. I had written, cause again, I write everything. So I'd written yeah. a business plan right. for a record company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it was a part of what was going to be my eventual conglomerate at mm-hmm. some point in life. So I was like the person I looked up to the most throughout like high school and, and college was Sir Richard Branson. Yeah. Uh, like the Virgin guy. Yeah. The that's space a fascinating guy. inspirational figure. Really. That was, it was him and Oprah. And it was yeah. just like between the two of them, it's like, if I can mix what the two of those people do, mm-hmm. like that is really the definition of how I saw my life. You know, that's a unfolding. powerful combo right there. Yeah. <laughs> Oprah, I mean, she's, you know, I'll come back to Richard in a minute, but if you think about Oprah, People forget she's a phenomenal actor. And mm-hmm. I, I was an actress, not was, I've acted in plenty of things even more recently. Yeah. I don't talk about it a lot, but right. I do it, <laughs> I do it um, quite often. Yeah. Um, but she's a phenomenal actress. She's an orator. She's just spiritually grounded uh, yes. in ways. That, I mean, she's just someone who I truly look at. And my mom, when she sees her, she's like, they're your godmother. Yeah. She calls her my godmother because I call her my godmom. But um, Richard Branson and, and Sir Richard Branson and Oprah were mm. like the two people who I would say, you know, even early on, I'm like, those two people are doing what I wanted to do. So when the friend asked me about, you know, uh, he comes to me and he's like, look, I know you have this business plan on your mm-hmm. computer for a record company because I told him about it. I had a 35 page business plan, like a serious business plan. Wow. I would go to the Maryland Business Association to get help because yeah. they had like free classes and I would go yeah. resources all the way for out people starting businesses right yes all yeah. the way out of Annapolis I would yeah. drive out oh, there wow. and just learn it's from, a hike yeah. yeah it is a hike. <laughs> I used to drive a lot more than I do now I, you can't get me to drive anywhere now <laughs> but um <laughs> I would go out there and get tips to put this yeah. business plan together uh, and thought about like raising money had had financial everything was mm-hmm. there and he said I'm, I'm gonna put out my first album I put together the songs and everything I have like 20 songs I'm gonna cut it down to maybe 12 mm-hmm. Can you help me with yeah. it? And I thought about it. I was like, let me hear the music first. <laughs> I want to commit to something. Right up. before you know what's up. Right. Let me hear the music. First. I listened to it. It's pretty good. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, there's a few things, you know, you could tighten up with the mix and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I said, if I help you with this music, 
you know, I'm going to have to actually really legit start my record company. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to file LLC. Because I knew, I'm like, I have to file LLC forms. Yeah, a lot of steps to, involved. It's a few steps. I'm like, I'm going to have to do this for real. I'm like, are you right. for real that you want to do this? You're not just like a fly-by-night. You want to rap today, tomorrow, you're a chef. You know what I mean? You know yeah. how people are. And he's like, no, I this is this is my thing. Like, this is what I do. I produce for, because he's a producer, too. He's like, I want to produce for other people. He's a songwriter and all that. And I was like, okay, well, we, we can do this. Just the two of us. Because yeah. we didn't have any money to, like, hire anybody else. Right. We don't know if anyone else is serious. So cut to maybe a few months later, we start, he starts getting, you know, gigs and things like that. And I'm helping out with more, I think it's right side of the brain stuff. Cause I'm more artistic, but I started mm-hmm. doing like businessy stuff. Yeah. That's and hard for a creative too. It is super hard. Oh my That's gosh. why I don't have a record company today. Yeah. <laughs> because if you think about it, that is, you know, when you think about our language, I said, I want a record company. I want to own a record company. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I didn't want to run a record company. Right. Big difference. Different animal. Different animal. I, I want to own a restaurant. I don't want to be a chef. I don't want to cook <laughs> in a restaurant. You know what yeah. I mean? So I didn't realize then that there was that difference. But I, yeah. that experience and looking back was an incredible experience. Yeah. Right. Because I'm doing all of this stuff to help him get shows and all of that. You know, uh, I learned... I got into directing because mm-hmm. I wrote the treatment for his first music video and yeah. then ended up directing it. Um, so then ended up directing more videos and kind of got that bug where yeah. I learned how to direct yeah. through my friend's music. But I was instrumental and in, cause we, it was just really just us and we would ha- maybe bring on a couple of more people right. for, for things to help us out. But I was instrumental in helping him secure performances all over Australia, all over Africa, all over Europe, oh my gosh. all over the States and Canada. I think he didn't perform in South America. I don't remember that one or Antarctica, obviously, but he performed on pretty much every continent. Jeez. And it was like all the money that came in, we would put it back into the company. Right. You know, so we were super struggling artists. Mm-hmm. And that story, uh, meanwhile, <laughs> that at that time I'm a you know, single straight woman navigating Washington, D.C., which mm-hmm. most people don't know is statistically, and I'll say one of, because I mm-hmm. used to say it is the, because it was the yeah. worst city in this country for single straight women, regardless of race, statistically. Wow. That was back then. It was probably yeah. 2012 yeah. or something like that. But today it is arguably, and I don't know because I haven't studied the statistics, but it was, I think it still is among the worst cities statistically for that demographic. But if you think about that as me always thinking about a story, that's Sex in the City meets Atlanta. Yeah, That is a half an hour series about a young millennial woman navigating the most political city in the world, right? running a record company that, a city that you don't think about record companies when you think about D.C. not at all. And um, you probably don't think too much about anything dealing with D.C. unless it's political. Right. Um, But I said it here in D.C. and it explores the indie underground music world while also exploring the dating scene. And it's called Of Music and Men. So like Of Mice and Men. Yep. Because nerd me reading the poem that has that (laughs) stanza in it. It's, you know, the best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. And I was like, that's an interesting stanza. If you wow. change mice to music for her, yeah. the best laid schemes and any plans you could put together when it deals with music or men will often go awry mm. <laughs> and leave a woman with nothing but grief and pain <laughs> <laughs> for promised joy, right? So that kind of made me create that world of music and men. And right. again, being in D.C., screenwriting, I'm interning on Veep. I'm do- mm-hmm. like doing all these things to try to... I don't know what I was trying to do because I didn't necessarily say I need to move to Hollywood and be a screenwriter. I was just writing 
it wasn't like I, I felt like I needed to be somewhere to do it. I just right. did it where I was. Um, you know, I'm thinking about that story and even writing business plans and pitch decks and all of that too of music and men. Yeah. I didn't really know how to make it. I knew I didn't want to do, I had done YouTube low budget, you know, little things with friends, but I was like, this is not that I feel like I got something special. Yeah. So I didn't want to do a disservice to it to try to, you know, gather up people who don't have experience who are probably bad actors and all of that to just try to do it for the sake of putting it on YouTube. Right. So I said, I'm gonna I'm hold on to this for a minute, but I'm going to do some other stuff around it. Yeah. So I turned it into a short film. And it won some competitions that actually were really great and, yeah. and helped me meet some people, a lot of good, cool people. Then I turned that short film into novella. So, you mm-hmm. know, like a novel. Yep. So a short novel. So each episode was its own little book. Right. I wish I had one to show you. I don't think I brought any with me. I usually keep them in my purse. Mm-hmm. But I didn't bring my purse. <laughs> but they're little four by six books that yeah. are about 15 to 18,000 words, which is, you know, a normal book is over 90,000 words. Yeah. But they're little novellas that are essentially the episodes that you would read like if you were because normal people don't read screenplays. Right. But if I wanted to publish the story and it is published, it's on Amazon. Yeah. It's called Thinking of a Master Plan. That's the pilot. Oh, nice. So the first episode. We got to plug that. Make sure we put that in the link. Right. (laughs) It's in book form. Yeah. Um, But I do have it's in book form. I do have the entire first 12 episode season. In book form, I have yeah. it written on my computer. So I have hundreds of thousands of words for the first season of ready this thing. Ready to go. Written, ready to go as little books. So obviously they're little, they're episodes too. Yeah. And then I, back in, I think 2019, mm. uh, right before the pandemic, I turned, started turning those novellas into a, po- a storytelling podcast. Yeah. So it's an elevated audiobook. Yeah. So it is just me reading, but it has, if, if the character's walking down the street, you're hearing traffic. Yeah. You have some sound effects yeah, sound integrated effects. in it's there. It's a little elevated. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. It's a little different experience from the typical, yeah. you know, audible audiobook, where it's just the dry right. audi- uh, author reading or someone right. reading it. But yeah, so the music element had come full circle mm-hmm. and turned into the record company, which turned into another full circle that kind of ended up being screenplay. Well, not just a screenplay, but a story in screenplay, podcast, novels, all these these different ways exactly of telling that story. And today it's, you know, it still isn't the TV show. It's just not time for it yet, obviously. But that TV show or that pilot to the TV show Mm has been getting me a lot of meetings. So folks are yeah, kind of receiving fantastic. it, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, um, it'll eventually soon become the scripted television show that it ought to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sort of taking this in a new direction, you know, the creative journey for so many people has a lot of ups and downs. And even before we started recording, we were speaking about the gentleman who was able to make it into Hollywood almost unscathed. It seemed like it was a very interesting piece that I hope we'll dive into more here. But one of the things that you really struggled with was feeling like you didn't really control your own reality. And I think whenever you're in the creative space, that's very challenging because that can go down a dark road, right? You can feel very defeated in those moments Mm -hmm. and understanding how you navigated out of that and onto your current path, which has been full of awesome opportunities. I'd like to explore that with you just a little bit more and understand, you know, what did that do to you creatively and how did you get yourself out of that, that funk, if you will? Well, that's, you know, I had this, what I like to call artistic ignorance mm-hmm. uh, for most of my life. As you saw, I mean, as, as you heard me talking about being an explorer as a kid and yeah. kind of just embracing every experience. And right. that was incredible. Yeah. And I would go fearlessly into any situation because I felt like I really felt like I could do it. Like yeah. that was my world is your oyster, right? Right. It wasn't my literal mantra, but thinking back, that was sort of the mantra was like, I can do it. 
Yeah. And that's a great mantra for anyone. I mean, granted, if you don't want to just jump out of a plane right, and say, no. I can fly. I mean, you, you don't want to be. But that confidence is key. <laughs> that confidence, creat- right. Creatively speaking. But um, I think it was during the record company time. I, it was a lot of stuff going on during then because I had written another book. I mean, mm-hmm. not another book, but a book prior to turning the record company story into mm-hmm. novellas. I written another book. Um, it did not work out the way I wanted it to. I was unemployed at that time because yeah. I come off of, you know, doing, what was I doing? I was doing like a radio, I was in music, in the music industry mm-hmm. in some way. And I'd written the book, it didn't work, was doing the record company. It didn't, even though it, I, I pushed the pushed to the forefront the highs of doing the record right. company, which is getting him the shows. Yeah. There were a lot of lows in that experience yep. because it wasn't really growing right. and it wasn't really, I mean, he is a musician that is, great great person great musician but the situation wasn't growing in at all um it's just a lot of stuff that went on at that time where it was a lot of struggle Mm -hmm. it was just a lot of struggle yeah and so I think I fell from being this kid who with this can-do attitude to remembering every single failure Mm-hmm. Every time something failed or didn't work or I took out a loan to publish a book and then yeah. I couldn't pay back the loan because the book didn't sell yeah. based on the marketing plan. Right. You know, all of these kinds of things it just did not work. So when you have those experiences and they're repeated, you mm-hmm. keep having them. You don't and you and at the time, if you don't know anything about mindset and all that kind of stuff and you keep thinking about yeah. those experiences, dark you, place. It, it, it puts you in a dark place. But then it also you don't really know how to get out because we all can face dark, you know, situations and then you know if you know if you have the training or if you know how to not fall into it and right, stay into right. it is a different story but I you know through a big chunk of that I just I couldn't figure out how to get out of that and yeah. it felt like it manifested in a lot of other areas and right. I'm talking about just career that's the stuff we're just talking about yeah but if I think that negative mindset of remembering those failures mm-hmm. believing that everything will fail because something else did yeah it's like so, a domino effect almost. So instead of having that yeah. can do or I can do it attitude, attitude, it started to become, I don't know. It was like, should you do this? I don't, I don't yeah. know now. Yeah. I don't know if I should dive into this situation because, well, I, I don't have the money. You know, it's, it's a lot of don't and can't right, that, right. that's associated with it because you're so scared that something that happened before is going to repeat itself. Exactly. And even yeah. if it didn't happen before, some other kind of failure is going because that didn't work. So yeah. maybe this other thing won't work. Got your own Murphy's law going on. Something's yeah. going to go haywire. Yeah. And yeah. that that's what happened. And it just kept happening with everything. So no matter how much I would write, no matter how mm-hmm. many other, I don't know, situate like business situations I would get in, there was always in the back or maybe even in the front of my mind that it's not going to work. Yeah. It's like the other thing didn't work. This is not going to work. Right. And so that's how that happened, how that came to be. Um, I believe it was around the before the pandemic when mm-hmm. I started doing more reading about, you know, everything. It's <laughs> more reading in general, but more reading about laws of the universe, yes. for instance. Yes. Um, meaning like law of attraction, law of just a, it's a lot of laws, right. like 12 of them. But, right. you know, started reading more about that almost casually, but kind of thinking hey, it could be something to this. Yeah. Um, did, did you go into that searching for an answer or was it just something that sort of fell into your lap? It was just the, was, the right time, right place. It was, it was both because okay. I had been always, always searching. Yeah. Um, I remember an event that happened, I believe maybe around college or after college mm-hmm. where 
someone asked me to go to church with them. Mm. Now, I grew up in a household where my grandmother went to church yep. religiously. She was very pious. Mm -hmm. My mom didn't. She, you know, she, but she would still classify herself as Christian, right. but only because her mother was. Right. It wasn't because she had done all this exploration yeah. and decided, well, that's the one I'll choose. Exactly. It was no explora uh, exploration. It was just everybody else is, so I right. am. Go along with it almost. But I couldn't do that, yeah. <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Like, you know. I would go maybe sometimes with both of my grandmothers, maternal mm -hmm. and paternal grandmothers, and, and I just didn't get it. Yeah. I, for, I tried to force myself to get it, force myself to want it, but reality is I just truly had too many more questions that nobody was answering. And you and I <laughs> share a lot on this topic. So, so it was like, well, if nobody's answering it, I got to do some more research right. on this. And in doing the research, then you get exposed to things that make more sense to you, like yeah. Buddhism, yeah. like just other things that make right. more sense mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of it all. And so that's, you know, some of the things that, that I was doing with that. Yeah. Please pardon me. What was the, like, what would like brought about this question? Cause I'm, I felt like I got tangential. Well, it was more, you know, I think going back just a little bit, but talking about how, when you found yourself in that sort of rut where you were a little right. bit uncertain about the control of your own reality. And I think that's okay. something that a lot of people struggle with. It's like you feel like you are, you, you don't have any weight when it comes to yeah. the things that happen in your life. And in so many ways, even whenever you wrote this out for me, but during our conversation, it was a, a reclamation of control. Mm -hmm. for, for what your life I could you. be. Yeah. And I think that's sort of where that was going. And okay. It, I mean, yeah, it I, seems just, like, I felt like I forgot. I was like, I don't want to keep talking yeah, on this, in this lane. If that's no, not I what think we were, you're right on okay. track. You're right on track. Okay. So yeah. So that's, um, to get back to, you know, the yeah. whole stream of our thoughts. Right. Um, it was, it was right around then, you know, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I, that's when I say then that a lot of that stuff came to a head where I had yeah. been doing sort of soft research, right. You know, for, more than half of my life, but just the circumstance of the timing of it all yeah. brought about a lot of questions where I felt like I had been, because I had just released um, or was planning to release the book version of, of Music and Men, yeah. something yeah. around then, or I had just released the book version of it mm -hmm. and was still trying to figure out, you know, had really no idea how I was going to market that. And yeah. it was a lot to it. I did all the, as far as putting the book together, I did everything from the graphic design to the book layout, right. like literally everything. Top to bottom. Top to bottom, because I didn't have the money to hire anybody. <laughs> no, it's, you have to do that whenever you're doing it all in-house, essentially. Right. So it was, it took its time, but I, I had done all of that. And I think yeah. I, that was around the time I had just launched or was planning to launch the podcast to support mm -hmm. it. So the pod, the storytelling podcast would be like, like I said, a, a, an elevated audio version. Yeah. So lose the job thing, the gig. And I'm just like, I start asking questions, asking questions in general, not right. specifically like, yeah. and not, not specifically. Cause I think I had to ask God too. I'm like, like I'm asking everybody like, <laughs> what is going on here? But it really was questions like, what is going on here? Yeah. And part of the dogma that I mentioned before when we're mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, bring upbringings for everyone, not just me, but upbringings where you kind of have this built in belief system. You can't not default to that sometimes right. where you think in, in a negative and a positive way. Where yeah. When I mean defaulting to it is you are asking God to give you something. You are asking God mm -hmm. to reward you if you're good. Right. And that's where those questions came from, because I was like, look. Like I'm doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And I mean that literally like as a human being, like, yeah. like this whole journey, checking all on, the boxes. like checking all the good girl boxes, yeah. like just being a good person, being a good a quote unquote good girl, like all of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. 
why is why is it that I'm of all people not getting the rewards, yeah. not being able? Because I'll still be good if I got the rewards, but I yeah. need to get them. Like like where are they? Where's my money? Back, right? You know, where's my my vacations? Like I've never been on a vacation. It was yeah. like those kinds of questions came up, and I I don't even know how. Maybe the internet, as far as like marketing i don't know how i stumbled upon uh, yeah, some Neil. some speaker was listening somewhere. yeah maybe it was god right it could have been <laughs> yeah, god yeah i don't go. know but uh conversations with god yeah came into view for me and it's such a phenomenal book uh series of books but mm-hmm. speaking specifically about the first one where neil donald walsh walsh was a man i'm gonna say maybe in his 50s when he had this conversation mm-hmm. and he writes the book as, as if as if it's a literal conversation, because right. I do believe we all have different experiences. And his experience was that he had a literal conversation with God. Yeah. And it, I listened to the audiobook while reading. I was like, I need to get this in every, every format, every format. So I'm listening to it mm-hmm. so I can go. I know I can pretty much know how much time I have, because if yeah. you're reading something, sometimes you can slow down if you're sleepy. Yep. yep. You can read a little faster. I was like, if this audiobook says it gives you the countdown hours, right, there, right yeah. it's right there. I know how much time I got. So I'm reading the book while I'm listening to it. But the cool thing is I didn't know going into the book is that he did this magnificent thing that I've always done in my mind, whereas the voice of God, the voice of the omniscient Mm. is not masculine or feminine, but rather both. So some chapters or some parts of the book, when you hear it, it's reading as a male narrator and then it oh, will wow. switch right, right in the middle of a thought. It was not even that like the male read the whole chapter and then yeah. the next chapter started. No, it'll be in the middle of a sentence. Oh, that's it so smart. To, beautiful. Yeah. It, it switches to the feminine. It, sw- yeah. it switches to a, a woman and they both sound older and seasoned. So you feel right. like you're listening to someone you need to hear. Right. Oh, that's such a cool <laughs> technique. Wow. It's amazing. So yeah. that helped yeah. because if I had just read the book, I, it would have been my, it probably would have been a male voice. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it would have been my in my head what the voice sounds like. Mm-hmm. So that's number one that caught me right off the bat. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. But the second thing that really caught my attention is that when he starts out the book, he's thinking the exact thing I was thinking at the time, which is, I'm good. Where are you? Right. Who's out there? Who's going to help me? I'm being everything that I need to be to get rewards. And it wasn't just the reward as far as stuff, but it was just mm-hmm. non-struggle, like yeah. non, uh, all of this stuff I'm going through at the time. It was just, everything felt like it was a fight or it yeah. was you, you email or call people, you apply to jobs, no one mm-hmm. answers or you don't get the job. You email or call people that, yeah, you know, it's, you're trying it's to... incredibly defeating. Yeah. It that. was, everything was a defeat. Yeah. Everything yeah. was a defeat. So like I said, even losing a job that I didn't want felt like a defeat. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want this, but dang, I lost something. Yeah. You know, you feel like you lost something because right. whether you wanted it or not, a loss feels like a loss. So it was, you know, one of those things where the, the book is, is just right there, right mm-hmm. when it was needed. And he he didn't approach it necessarily from a religious standpoint. Um, But again, when you have any religion that you come up in, like the artist that I work with was Muslim. Mm -hmm. So I was like fully immersed into Islam. Yeah. Like that was a part of not that I was ever Muslim. I never converted and never. But I went to a lot of their events and recognized a lot of their um, I don't want to call them holidays. I don't think they mm-hmm. really call their stuff that, but you know, some of the yeah. things that they do with rituals right. that I, you know, embraced and was able to witness firsthand. Yeah. yeah. A and powerful so, experience. Informative. Super powerful. Yeah. Like so, I have so much respect for, yeah. for Islam and it's just like, you know, having that experience contributed to a lot of stuff too. But I right. grew up again, the backdrop of my upbringing was Christianity. Mm-hmm. I don't know what denomination 
maybe Baptist. Let's just mm-hmm. go with that. And I'm not trying to like no, no, be no. dismissive, yeah. but I there think it was right. There are yeah. many, and it was. And my grandmother was Southern, so I'm just going to assume maybe it was Southern yeah. Baptist. I don't know. She passed away, so I can't ask her yeah. what the spe- specificity was. But the point is, mm-hmm. Neil Donald Walsh also had a semi-Christian. He had a Christian upbringing, but whether right. at the time he probably wasn't or didn't identify with Christianity yeah. necessarily. But of course, that is the seasoning of everything you know about God. So yeah. some of the questions that he asks, some of the experiences that he default to, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of laying out for us comes from that kind of Christian undertone. Right. It has Christian right. undertones to it. And, but the point is that's what helped me really identify with the book. Yeah. And it was such an amazing, I had, like I said, listening to it and hearing it, I've, done that three times now mm-hmm. because it was that influential yeah. because he starts out the book. And I think that's, you know, the point that I was getting to with how right. he starts it out, which is he's out reaching out and saying, yeah. why am I doing everything? You know, like if we line up everyone's sins, I'm pretty sure I have the least amount of them. Yeah. like, you know, I'm, <laughs> Close I'm not to being the baseline there. Yeah. Right. I'm, not, I'm not trying to be flippant, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you, you know, and I'm joking about it and saying it in jest, but it's, it's one of those things where you're, it's some honesty to it. Like, and I'm right. being real. Like if you line up everybody's sins, I probably have the least amount yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. And so where is my reward? Like, mm-hmm. why am I suffering so much? And so the answers that he got, I'll leave that to everyone to read the book, but right. the answers that he got felt like they were, were comforting to me Yeah, yeah. in that it's about so much more than that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so much bigger than that. Although it's so much smaller at the mm-hmm. same time, it's, it's not as complex as we think it is, even though it's, it's very fast. Right. Um, and again, I, I don't want to try to summarize what that experience encompasses. Like, yeah, I don't want to do that oh, for anyone. Totally different for everyone. It will be. Yeah. Because I've had a few friends that I've referred to that book and they were like, thank you. Like yeah, there's wow. been two people who have really came back, who have come back and said, I absolutely thank you for that. And then we've had conversations, we've had our own conversations about it, but it helped so much at the time because if you think it was the pandemic on all of that is happening. So we're trapped inside Mm -hmm. people are locking things down in certain places. Uh, A lot of places ain't lock anything down, but you know, we're being locked down for the, for the most part of it. And I had had this screenplay in my mind Mm -hmm. for quite a while. It had probably been a few years Mm -hmm. Based on an, an experience that I had, mm-hmm. um, everything feels ta- tangential. It feels like such a long story. No, it's okay. So, That's the connectedness of it all. Yeah, so. it does. Because I'm like, I'm thinking about the screenplay and it's called Reaper. And yeah. it's a, I don't normally write procedurals, but I love watching them. And I was you like, You well, told me about this right. on the heels of the Linda Jefferson project. And it was just yeah. like, that is so good. <laughs> I would love to so see this on TV. I always think about the various things that I love and yeah. how I can make, put me into something that I, into something yeah. else that I love that right, right. I may not normally always write procedurals. That's not my default way. And when I say procedurals, I'm, that's kind of jargon. It's when, for folks that don't know, that's those TV shows that are pretty much anything on CBS. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but it's those TV shows that are usually medical. They're mm-hmm. usually police procedurals right. and they're usually law procedurals. Yep. Sometimes you have ones that fall outside of that, but it's usually any kind of occupation that goes with a procedure. Right. There's a procedure to doing law and medicine exactly. and police exactly. and law enforcement because it could be FBI. That's right. a literal show called FBI. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it can be, um, you know, any kind of those kinds of things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't normally write them, but I absolutely love them. That's like my, that's a guilty pleasure. I don't watch any reality shows. My guilty pleasure is straight up procedurals, right? Yeah. So 
rewind, record yeah. scratch, rewind several years ago. I live in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and there are some great things about this city. There's some things in Congress right now about the city that has to deal with violence and all of that. Yeah. I live in a corner unit, a corner house in my neighborhood, and yeah. there was a one day I'm sitting in the living room, ironically talking to that artist mm-hmm. about some probably business or something. Yeah. And there is a literal drive-by outside oh my, my house. Gosh. Yeah. And I mean, I'm on the corner. So it's 30 yards away. Yeah. At least 20 yards away. But yeah. let's just say 30. And the bullet, about the size of a nickel in circumference, comes through a nickel. <laughs> it's a pretty big bullet. So comes through my window. Plus. Yeah. Comes Jeez. through the window, misses my head by mere... I mean, maybe 18 inches, maybe oh 12, God. maybe a foot. Kayon, I didn't know it, that. Yeah. And it lands in the wall in my house. And the friend, my musician friend, was on, he's like, get that. Because he heard it. I mean, it was right there. Yeah. And I did, you know, you kind of freeze. It's like, what do you do? But I had to, I'm dropping down. And when it all is over, you hear the cars are speeding. It, was, it had to be a gunfight or something. Yeah. I get up and I see the bullet, the bullet lodged in the, in the wall and the police had to come and re- retrieve it because they yeah. pick up shells. They had to get that thing for evidence. But I started thinking right then, I was like, if, if it was my time to go, what would the, would time, you know, we, I watch a lot of TV. So would time have stopped and would the Reaper have come in in some way and had a conversation with me mm. or like my mind went went there it didn't go about death it went about like what's the yeah. story behind this and yeah. how could this be great that speaks to your creativity right there <laughs> like why would your mind go there the reaper but the one of the things that happened immediately was what would she be like there we so go already character is a she a nova yeah and so anyway during the pandemic I had already written down, this was a few years ago, but I had already written down all these little story elements, but I'd never really written a story. And mm-hmm. that's unusual for me. Normally when I think of a story or when I think of a character, I can kind of shape the story in a matter of minutes or today's. It doesn't right. take years for me to, yeah. but this one, it had been years because yeah. I had written down what would she look like? And I wrote, you know, her father would be this and that. And you know, all of these kind of, kind of supernatural sci-fi world. Yeah. But then during the pandemic, I started truly thinking about what that would look like as a TV show. Yeah. Not just the story, the grand right. story, but the TV show, how it would be packaged. Six acts is an hour long. Well, not, mm-hmm. six, not acts, but, you know, well, they are acts, but <laughs> not to get too technical, yeah, but just yeah. how it would be broken up for right. a TV show. And I started writing it and it, you know, I outlined it and wrote it probably within 10 days, the first one. And that's, I'm speaking, like throwing out numbers. Most people don't, you know, it takes us various amounts of times to write, to write whatever it is we're writing. Right. But 10 days is not a super long time to come up mm-hmm. with something and write it out. Yeah. Rewrote it a few times. So around May, I decided, now this was March, April that I wrote the first draft and did a few rewrites. Around May, I was like, well, I should probably just enter it into this free contest that, yeah. I'm saying they keep emailing me about it. This is a really cool company called Roadmap Writers, right? Mm -hmm. Any screenwriter who has either already a screenwriter who isn't signed or, you know, on a TV show or movie, if they aren't uh, already signed and if they are even thinking about writing, be best if you already are a writer. But even if Mm -hmm. you're thinking about it, they have like courses and stuff like that. Super little plug for them because they're great. Yeah. But I entered it into this free competition that they have called the Diversity Initiative, where they're looking for like diverse writers yeah. who have like a different, you know, experience with their storytelling. And it won. Oh my god. Won the whole thing. I was just like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And what, what it comes with is this scholarship into their creative writing, oh, not creative writing, their career writer mm-hmm. writers program, 
which helps writers do something I didn't even really ever really even thought about, which is pitching. Yeah. Like I said, I was always just writing the art. Yeah. I didn't think about that's okay, a big piece you, of it too. You gotta sell it. it right? Hey, I, people have sold scripts they didn't write because they had a good pitch. Yeah, there we go. So forget about the writing. Let's go in and pitch. Like that's so important. I'm gonna sell you a story I haven't written yeah. <laughs> just because I can pitch it well, right? But um, they teach you how to pitch, and mm-hmm. so that kind of changed the game for me because it it kind of showed how to talk about a story yeah. before I need to talk about it. Like right. once you write it, even if you haven't spoken to anyone about it, start thinking about some of the ways you can be trapped on the, you heard an elevator pitch, right? Be yeah. trapped on an elevator. You got what, 20 seconds, 10 yep. seconds. Got to get it done. How can you spit that thing out and tell people about it yeah. um, and make them actually interested in it? Uh, and so it kind of taught a lot of those things. But so what's it, the pitch on this? Man, I ain't pitching, pitching Reaper, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just kidding. But, um, well, part of the pitch to that is forget about the elevator thing. You'll probably have a little bit more time than that. But it is, you know, the Grim Reaper is pretty much loses her ability to be a Grim Reaper. And then she has to help this. She teams up with this private eye to help so, solve the most unsolvable cases in Washington. D. Of course, it takes place in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Backdrop is we don't, most folks don't know that D.C. is... Uh, low-key like a tech hub is one of the mm-hmm. uh, places where tech is growing yeah um so that's sort of the backdrop and that someone is trying to eliminate death yeah. for humans so we die and we pretty much three different ways there's trauma you fall off a building you can't get rid of that if right. someone falls off a building that's you know game over game over but the <laughs> other two ways you can we're, we're trying to figure out which is aging and disease mm-hmm. we're trying to get you know there are people in technology that's trying to get rid of that but if you think about our main character that's an existential threat to her. Oh, hell yeah. You're trying to get rid of death. You're trying to get rid of me. So, you know, it's a pretty cool play. I I wanted to make it grounded. So it's Mm -hmm. not a whole bunch of flying angels and demons. It's not that kind of thing. It really is, you know, like I like to pitch it as Lucifer meets Ghost Whisperer. Yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of grounded. You're walking around. You look just like any of us, but you have a secret. Um, so it's a, it's a really cool story. It was a horrible pitch, but that's just sort of what the story is about. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, you kind of caught me off guard, even though I should be prepared for this, but I do talk, <laughs> but just in talking about it, it's, right. it's not that much of a formality to yeah. the pitching as, you know, with roadmap and what they will teach you, but it is sort of having the confidence to talk, talk about who you are, where you come from, where the story comes from and why you're the one to tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that backstory to being almost dead sort of, yeah. <laughs> sort wow. of helps my cause a little bit. But um, but yeah, and so that that winning that competition, getting into that program, they then help writers by sending out your log line to mm-hmm. people in the industry. Right. And meanwhile, it was the summer of 2020. So it was a lot of people that were like kind of helping other folks out because everyone yeah. was trapped at home. Right. Right. So that script had gotten into the hands between roadmap and just in general got into the hands of quite a few people who mm-hmm. wanted to hop on Zooms because they weren't on set. Yeah, they weren't on set. They else. weren't doing anything else because they were reading nobodies. And right. I, I'm saying that in jest still, but they were mm-hmm. reading people that they would not normally read. Right. Um, one of the people that they ended up sending the script to read the log line. She wanted the script. She read the script, mm-hmm. write the script and wanted to meet. So three little steps kind of got me in front of her, but she's yeah. a good friend of mine now. She works at, I ain't gonna say what she worked at, but at the time she worked at Showtime. Mm-hmm. So Showtime doesn't normally do procedurals in that yeah. sense, but she liked the writing. So she right. wanted to meet the writer and we hit it off. And she, like I said, became a pretty cool friend. I, you know, a resource that I always, mm-hmm. you know, I won't even say a resource is a friend. She, so I reach out to her and we yeah. give her updates and stuff. So that was around September of 2020. So mm-hmm. pretty, that whole summer was yeah. kind of doing that Fast grind. And, yeah. 
And it was January of 2021 when she was the person. And I remember that vividly because I live in D.C. and mm -hmm. this was the first week. And if we all remember January 6th, it was a very memorable day for Washington, well, for Americans. Yes. And so I live not far from the Capitol. Mm -hmm. um, so I was in the house watching this debacle on TV. Yep. And that same week, which was probably the 8th or something like that, mm -hmm. she reaches out via email and says, do you happen to like sports? <laughs> so I'm like, well, I said, well, <laughs> in fact, I, yeah, I probably I was like I probably like sports. This is my response. I said, I probably like sports more than anyone you've ever met in your life who's never worked in the sports industry. Wow. Because it is like they say football is life on Ted Lasso. Sports is life for me. Like there we go. It, it, that competition, that's part of the human experience for yes, me. That, is. that is the definition of the human yep. experience. So um, she says, well, some friends of mine over at CBS are looking for a writer to help them out with the Super Bowl. Would you be interested? Boom. I'm like, who wouldn't be interested? Even if I didn't like sports, I'd be interested. This is the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? Yeah. This is like, you know, World the Cup. Grail. The different, I mean, the, the opposite, not the opposite, but sort of the yeah, equivalent of World par. Cup. So um, she sends my info over to the folks at CBS and next thing you know, and, and I do mean the next thing you know, they, mm -hmm. were, they were like, you're hired. You're perfect for what we're doing, what we want to do. Yeah. And that ended up being uh, a two-parter because I worked on the Super Bowl with them um, on two pieces. Yeah. One of them featured mm -hmm. Viola Davis and the other awesome. one featured <laughs> Jennifer Hudson. Yep. Two EGOTs. Big names. <laughs> And the one with Jennifer Hudson won my first Emmy. So. Yeah. In case we didn't <laughs> note that, I will make sure to do that in the intro. Emmy award winning writer. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like, so I, I don't even know what to call it. Like right place, right. It wasn't a right place, right time. Yeah. It was just, you know, that was just a perfect experience that used my own experiences. And I didn't even talk about sports experiences. Yeah. Right. Um, I talked about the music ones, but didn't talk about the sports ones. Um, I can talk about the sports ones if you want me to. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to get into that with you, but I, I think the one really fascinating element of this component of the story is that simply by asking questions, uh, having the courage to reach out via email and make yourself an introduction, doors opened. And I think that that's a fear that so many people have when it comes to pursuing their own dreams is the fear of rejection or the fear of the unknown. And, you know, I'm sure you've dealt with that at many different points in your life, but you overcame those certain things just to take a little action. And it was the catalyst for this whole wave of new events in your life. And I was hoping you could speak more about that because that's an inspiring message for so many people out there who are on that teetering edge of maybe I should do this. Maybe I will send that email. I mean, what do you say to those people who are questioning that action? Well, I think the with the conversations with God book and with that exposed mm -hmm. and then other studying other thought leaders during that time to keep my mindset where it needed to be. That's mm -hmm. what I took away from the conversations with, uh, with God book Yeah, is that there's a lot that comes with mindset that right. we can, we can control. Some yeah. people have chemical imbalances and it's a little bit more of a struggle for them. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, most of us just don't know how to control right. the thoughts that go through our head. We don't take the time to do meditation and focus on that. We don't take the time yeah. to just quiet our minds, go for yeah. a walk. Don't go for a walk, sit down somewhere, you know, just get off social media. We don't, we really just don't take the time to do it. Yeah. And then we keep saying we can't, 
We yeah. keep, and then if you're right. close, if you keep saying you can't, <laughs> you there's an can't. element of discipline in there too. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of easy to fall into routines that may be less than healthy for us right. or, or, you know, it's a routine that maybe is not going to grow us in a direction of positivity right. at the rate we would like. Um, but having some discipline and implementing those, those tools. It's a daily be, thing. Wake yeah. up, make my bed. Yep. Um, put the cold water on. I do like super ice cold because I can't do the cold. Hey, there we I can't go. do the cold ice water. bath. Yeah, All but right. I have to do for for the past few years. I've been doing ice ice cold water wow. on at least my face nice. <laughs> every day. Uh, that wakes me up better than coffee. Yeah. I love my coffee. Hitting but the back, that, man. All that. <laughs> yes, that's a tough yes. one. But. So do the do the cold thing, but. It's the artistic ignorance that I talked about before of having, it's the ignorance we generally have as children. Mm -hmm. The artistic ignorance is, you know, that kind of came back to me in 2020. It mm -hmm. was, everything was, what the hell? Like, yeah. it, it normally it used to be, you know how some people joke and say, well, it's not the end of the world if you do this. It could have been the end of the world. Like, we didn't know. <laughs> 2020 so was a wild thing, time. It was, it was. You didn't know. You know, and yeah. not that you ever really truly know, but sure. at that time, you was way more uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. And so it really was a lot of just shoot your shot type of moments. Yeah. And that was, that came at the perfect time for me because, again, reading that book um, kind of gave me the, the knowledge about mindset and all that kind of stuff. And right. I was doing a lot of other studying then about mindset and everything on a daily basis. Um, and so, yeah, so it was like, send that email, call that person, do that thing and just see what happens. Whereas yeah. the, uh, let's just say January on back to a good chunk of my life where there was this fear in that, Oh, they won't answer. Oh, the, it won't, you know, I don't want I'll be embarrassed if, if I send this email and they don't answer. like, really? So it, it was a, exactly, I feel that I, I feel like a kid again. I feel like the way that I did as a kid, there was a huge chunk in the middle where I didn't, I, I felt so much fear and everything. Yeah. I feel like I'm back to being like, it's, it's awakening. I feel like I'm back to being me now. Right. It's and a good feeling. It is because naturally I'm a very optimistic person, but I feel like there was a lot of cynicism and pessimism yeah. during the time where it was like, where the failure exacerbated that the failure yeah, was just right. like, uh, it felt, it wasn't a literal voice saying you can't, but I feel like I was telling myself yeah. that. And like you said, it seeps into other parts of your life. It's yeah. hard to compartmentalize that sort of toxicity of the mind. It's it just is. like, how are you going to manage other elements of your life positively if that's how you feel day in and day out? Exactly. So. And it's, you know, not to be too on the nose, but it felt like a record that was literally continuing to play the same record over and over. We'll skip. And so maybe, maybe change the record, maybe cut the music off, you know what I mean, for a while. Sometimes right. every morning, you know, I do my meditation. I got to cut the music off, yep. um, the figurative music. So it's just like, you know, I, I feel like I got back during that time to the child ignorance, that artistic ignorance of being able to just ask for something or ask to meet someone. I've yeah. met so many, especially even just uh, in 20, I believe 2022. Yeah. I've met so many people. I have met at least three people. There are three people that come to mind that I consider mentors now. Mm -hmm. And these are people super high up. Yeah. Right. Who I met them all through a blind email. Yep. A simple blind email. I'm talking presidents of companies, mm -hmm. vice presidents of huge comp sports companies. I'm yeah. thinking like people who are way, way, way above <laughs> my pay grade. <laughs> and I'm like, just I, I would write them a very nice letter and say, you know, 
who I am and, and what of theirs that I li- liked and that I saw that inspired me to do mm-hmm. something or whatever the case may be. And these people were gracious enough to jump on, you know, Zoom has become the thing now. Like that is still my main method. Yeah, of, oh, me too. Oh, yeah. it's so effective. I've got the setup over there and it's like if there's a, you know, a gig or something that is out in the ether that I think I have a shot at. I'm sending you an introduction video. Wow. Saying hello. That's dope. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, again, you know, why not? Why exactly. not? Exactly. And so. these are now people I can call, you know, for advice on anything. Yeah. I mean, and I have. And they've given me advice like, ask for this much money. You always want people to tell you that. Wow. That is, yeah. yeah. Like, this is how much you ask for because I did that. Mm-hmm. And this is how much. And they would tell me straight up, this is how much I made. And so you should ask for this or whatever the case may be. That's fascinating. These are fascinating people in in incredible positions Mm -hmm. of power Mm -hmm. who I now have as mentors. And it was because I just was like, I'm just going to send an email or or make a phone call. And and that knowledge is gold. It is. That knowledge is gold. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think I answered that. (laughs) Oh, you did. You did. And and I want to piggyback off that because one of the things that you mentioned in here, which is, again, I say this a lot, but this was such a profound statement. It was really, really, it it sort of, it's shifted the way that I've, I've thought about this phrase in the past, but you say, I'll believe it when I see it, flip that. Mm -hmm. I'll see it when I believe it, you know, empowering yourself and giving yourself the ability to say, you know, I'm going to make this happen. It is within my control to shape my reality. Mm-hmm. I'd love you to speak more on it. It's just such a good statement. That comes from, I never take credit for things, and, and I'm sure this person will give credit somewhere else because that's just how great sayings go. We don't mm-hmm. really know where they came from. Unknown, where they hyphen unknown. <laughs> exactly. With that, I got that statement because even to this day, at least five days a week. So usually during the week I wake up and I listen to Abraham Hicks. Mm -hmm. Abraham Hicks is a spiritual guide in just, just in the spiritual world. Like if you Google Abraham Hicks Mm -hmm. on YouTube, you're going to get a ton of uh, animated videos. And the reason is because I'm sure they probably couldn't clear the conferences, you know, get the clearance to show the real people, which I think is a smart thing to do. But those videos are, uh, Parts of those conferences are cut up into about 14 to 16, you know, maybe 20 minute video clips um, highlighting different questions from people in the audience. Mm -hmm. And it's phenomenal. Just imagine like a Tony Robbins or Joe. Yeah. yeah. One of their seminar kind of things. Right. Right. And it's clipped up. And it's they said that. And the reason why I'm using non, you know, gendered uh, terminology is because Esther Hicks is the woman Mm -hmm. who embodies Abraham and Abraham is you know, a manifestation of, uh, of a spiritual side of a person. So she speaks from a very different place than most people, I believe, uh, come from. And most people may not be able to embrace or understand. You yeah. probably have to get to a different level in your um, openness mm-hmm. to hearing that, to truly be able to receive it. So right. I'm not telling people that you need to go and listen to that because you may not be ready or it just may not be for you. Yeah. But for me, it came along at the perfect time right. because it was right. some it was answering some of the questions and sometimes we have answers to questions. We have our own answers, things that work for us, but we're afraid to embrace it because it may not be, you don't see anyone else doing this. So it's like, yeah. I couldn't look around and see my friends doing, you know, approaching mm-hmm. spirituality in this way. So it was like, I can't lean on that. Definitely not my family. Right. So it's sort of like you, there's this uncertainty to how you approach that kind of uh, thought. But to say, you know, most people say, well, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, there's no belief, like there's almost disbelief now. But when 
someone, maybe the universe, God, whatever, when they show me this new car, then I'll then, believe that it that right. this new car exists. Yeah. But Abraham, you know, from what I learned, would flip that and say, start believing. Then you'll see it. Yeah. You know, don't don't wait to see the physical first and then say, ah, well, now I believe that you can be a great. Now I believe that you can work on the Super Bowl mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I saw it first. I'm yeah. like, no, I, always, I, I, I will not lie and say that I was thinking about the Super Bowl. But I will say that when this per when the friend of mine uh, email because it was an email mm-hmm. and mentioned the Super Bowl, I was back to that can do it. I can do that. Yeah, I've let's never go. worked on the Super Bowl. I've never worked on anything that big, but I can do it. I'll prove it. I can. Pr- I'll, yeah, I believed it first when as soon as the that seed was planted. She planted that seed on a Friday night. Let me tell you, this was Friday, January the eighth. By Sunday, January the tenth, they called me and said you're hired. Oh I'm talking God. about two days. Yeah, that's but so exciting. She planted that seed on Friday that there was a possibility. And they didn't even have Viola Davis at the time. I yeah. mean, this thing moved super fast. Mm-hmm. And I was working with one of the absolute, probably the absolute best person in the industry mm. named, I'll name his name because he's one of my mentors. Yeah. <laughs> his name is Pete. <laughs> but I'll just leave it at it. His name is Pete. Yeah, he yeah. works for CBS. Everybody knows I Pete. I got you. But um, yeah, he just, the mind, just like being able to be, in the same Zoom room because we were in a physical room, but just mm-hmm. to be able to work with somebody and to see how their mind works right. and take so much away from that. But yeah. even before that, he was one of the four people who, and my good friend now, Ellis, he was one of the people who interviewed mm-hmm. me, you know, and considered me for this thing. And I'm yeah. like, a, I wasn't a rookie writer and they knew that much, but to their world, mm-hmm. I was a rookie because I didn't come from their world of, right. you know, writing on specifically for the things that mm-hmm. they do. But they believe they were like, we believe you have you love this. Mm-hmm. We can see that I have my Tom Brady jersey on because that's my go. dude. That's number 12. TB12. That's where the 12 comes from. Right? Episode 12. TB12. That's, that's all. Yeah. yeah. Coming again. <laughs> and they made sure, you know, they, um, you know, they, I had the Tom Brady shirt on and everything. And we talked about that because they joke because Pete's a Jets fan uh, of all things. But interesting. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so, you know, they joked with me about that. But we the conversation lasted very long. It was probably a long, it was a long conversation, but mm-hmm. it was with those producers and they believed they believed in me. And yeah. that's what it takes for someone to believe in you. But before they believed. Somebody else had to believe first. And that was when she planted that seed. I believed, I don't care how big this could be Super Bowl, World Cup. I believe I could do it. And I believed I could do it. And like I said, by two two days later, it feels like when I tell that story, people are like, that was an overnight success. Like, didn't you just hear me telling you I was struggling and depressed for like Yeah, right. <laughs> but um it was ten years and then then the sort of a big bang to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then that's when they were, you know, in our conversations, they were like, Who would you want to do this? And I'm like, Well, I might as well aim for the moon. Yeah. I'm Viola Davis. Let's just see if she'd be interested. Viola Davis said, yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, you know, that was my dream. That was a dream to work with Viola Davis. Mm -hmm. Because it's like Viola Davis in my head at the time was like, Viola Davis, Angela Bassett, Meryl Streep. Those are my, you know, those are the folks I look at. I'm like, that's some act. Look, they're not even acting. They acting. Like, you got to kind of get ghetto on it when you watch those women on TV or on movies. They know what's up. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they 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 do some special things so yeah. that was one of them that was a um what i would call a bucket list was viola davis yeah. um and then like i said the game open we worked on but yeah it was it was an incredible experience mm-hmm. that came about because believing it first then i saw it i saw it manifest after the belief came yeah i don't know if this would have worked out the same way if i was skeptical or right, unsure right. i remember after i did the interview that saturday because they you know they reached out saturday morning um, Saturday night I did the interview. I remember, I remember vividly thinking, mm-hmm. 
you do you interview well like speaking to myself in the second person i was like you you do you do meetings well like you know i think this is going to work this i believe mm-hmm. i believe this will work out it was like yeah. i felt like that conversation was being had yeah that you know i believe it i was like i believe this is something for me it feels yeah. too perfect of somebody who's con- who wakes up and outside of the spiritual thinking when i'm going moving around and making coffee and getting ready for my day mm-hmm. i'm listening to sports talk radio and sports yeah. like sports has always been a part You're of my constantly life. preparing and i, I, I think that, <laughs> that confidence and that belief that manifests in the way we carry ourselves the way that we speak our 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 micro expressions facially mm-hmm. it, it just it has ways of affecting the way we operate as human beings in, in very subtle ways where I don't even think we know it a lot of times. Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth of Self podcast. The audio-only version of these stories can be found on nearly every major podcast streaming platform from Spotify to Apple Podcasts and many, many more. Your support as we grow this movement is immensely appreciated. You can help us out by leaving a rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend or a loved one who you feel would benefit from hearing these stories. Finally, if you're interested in seeing the video interview that accompanies these stories, head over to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page for the full viewing experience. While you're there, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, or follow the channel, and share your thoughts in the comment section. For additional information on how to support the Wealth of Self, head over to www.wealthofself.com. Now, let's get back to the interview. You, you don't talk about it as a regret necessarily, uh, but you, you do go into the details of sort of wishing that you had understood more about the laws of the universe. And you even mentioned attraction, law of attraction, all these different elements sort of getting onto that path a little bit sooner um, that may have helped combat some of the the depressive thoughts and the defeats that came earlier, even though I think in some ways those probably helped shape your next steps as well. Uh, Go into that with us. Um, I didn't know as most people probably don't know or don't think about, you know, Living is, it requires more work than I thought it did. <laughs> Dang it. Now, some of the work we embrace, like we got to floss, like I floss my teeth every night. I brush them. There we go. You know, it, you know, I take a shower. Some things you've embraced is that's just part of life. It's part of the maintenance. Mm-hmm. What I never thought was that mental maintenance was a thing. I just didn't. A lot of um, people don't, I think. Yeah. I just yeah. thought, you know, you wake up and if it's a rainy day, well, then you say, and again, what you say and believe you get Oh, it's going to be a bad day. Guess what? It's a bad day. And so I I didn't know that then. I didn't know that there was mental maintenance. Like you wake up and you maybe spend a few minutes, five minutes. It's not a lot of time. You spend some minutes, you know, doing some breathing, doing some, some meditation, just kind of doing some prayer, whatever it is that you do, but just take some time to yeah. have nothing in your mind mm-hmm. because the day will bring enough stuff. Yes. Just kind of spend some time during the and it's the morning for me is the best. And mm-hmm. I've heard that it is better in the morning be, before the whole day. At, trying to do it at the end of the day is kind of hard. Hey, if you stay up late <laughs> enough, it's the same thing. No, I'm well, kidding. You know That's what? not a good I'm thing. I'm a night owl, so don't tell me that. I'm up to, man, I'm, oh, I'm up too late sometimes. And yeah. I keep saying that I'm going to go both. to work early. I, go to be, I say go to work earlier. I'm going to yeah. go to bed earlier, but I just, I just don't get to work Yeah. But I just didn't know, you know, throughout most of my life, probably up until like the pandemic, which Mm -hmm. is a long time to be sitting up there thinking like you just wake up, you worry about the physical maintenance, but you don't do any physical, any mental maintenance. Right. Um, So I just didn't know it was that much work. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it is not, and I make it sound bad. It's it's not bad because I mean I don't mind taking a shower or washing dishes or just sort of the maintenance sure. that comes yeah. along with life. But I just didn't know, yeah. and so because I didn't know, it was not that I thought that I would avoid negative experiences, but mm-hmm. I would have interpreted negative mm-hmm. experiences differently. So mm-hmm. that's the difference. So it's one thing to have you know something that we quote unquote call bad happen right to us, and I use those air quotes because what's bad to me may be fine to you, and exactly. it may be good to her. Yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. It, yeah. We, we determine whether it's called good, bad, or indifferent. You different know, and for that's all again of us. part of that mental record yeah. or part of that mental uh, mentality mm-hmm. of like how we define things and how we control our own reality based yeah. on how we define them. But I, I didn't know any of that, and mm-hmm. so when things again, when things would happen, it was it felt like it was snowball because me not knowing it was sort of me putting in motion right negative things negativity right. and negative things and you didn't even maybe recognize didn't it, at that all. you were you were doing that so. i didn't recognize i was doing it and i didn't recognize that because i was doing it you know these were the consequences or sort of the yep. the actions that happened after I would do something or even think and feel something because thinking and feeling we, we throw it away. Oh, feelings are just, no, those mean something. You have them for a reason. Yeah. You should listen to them. Like, you know, not every feeling that you have, because sometimes you have to think about where they, where they come from. Right. But sometimes you can have, you know, if you're walking down a dark alley and you feel something fear or something like that, yeah. you know, then that's telling you, you, know, you have that for a reason. Right. So it's just like, I, I it was so much, I just didn't know. And mm-hmm. so that led to, like I said, that Valley, so to speak, mm-hmm. of experiences. And again, those experiences could have been the same experiences, but not be and not feel like a valley mm-hmm. had my mindset been where it is, you know, today where you can recover a little bit faster mm-hmm. um, and understand like a, I've, I've had quite a few things, um, not quite a few, but not to be dramatic, but I've had some things happen more recently yeah. where it could have been like an implosion. But my and this is not like forcing it, my natural like where I default to now is it'll work itself out. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it really is a shrug and it's sort of the whole body yeah. language thing where it's like, because at this point I've gotten to un, I've become uh, the type of person that understands when I can control something mm-hmm. and when I just can't. Right. And sometimes it's like, you can do all you can do and the universe is going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. If you go out in outer space, there's meteors and there's all this mm-hmm. stuff flying around. It's chaos. Yep. It's organized. It feels mm-hmm. disorganized. It's organized chaos out there. So that's what's kind of happening in life. There are cars driving by. There are birds flying. It's just universe is just being the universe. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of that you can't control. Right. And so if something happens that if you've done everything that you can do leading up to it, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, maybe do a, you know, I don't know. I, every situation is different and I'm thinking about something very specific. Yeah. But um, at a certain point, you just have to say, It'll work itself out. Yep. And I did that um, more specifically to give you an example. You know, we had a situation where we were going to go to Ohio mm-hmm. and it looked like Toledo. financially. Yeah. You yep. and I were recording. We'll talk about that. We're, yeah. we're doing a project where we had to go to, to Toledo, Ohio mm-hmm. to interview a legend, like a literal sports legend. The GOAT. The GOAT. <laughs> we had to interview a literal sports legend. And like leading up to that, it was just things were happening where financially it wasn't coming together. Yeah. And then I, I can't help that. Like if it, yeah. like I, I set up the project, if right. it was meant to be, you know, it was sort of like one of those things where I've done everything I could do. Yeah. And I really had to say, and I felt calm. Like I wear this thing and it checks your pulse and all of that. It didn't go up. My heart rate didn't, no didn't increase. I slept well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was nervous some days at some points, but I was able to breathe and, and go, you know, it's, 
it'll it'll work itself out. Yeah. It literally worked itself out. Yeah. Like it's, you know, at a financially, um, just to, as an example, the business credit card that I mm-hmm. use just sent me a letter. We tripled your rating. Your, uh, not your rating, your uh, limit. We tripled your credit limit. Just tripled it. That's nice. You know, yeah. Casual. So that, that'll help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for this, it's a business, <laughs> right. you know, a business right. thing. And then it was, you know, someone who I had done something for a year before. I forgot all about it. Mm-hmm. Had done some, just randomly sent the deposit. I mean, sent the money that I was owed mm-hmm. 18 months ago. I was owed this money. And I wasn't thinking about it because wow. I, I've been oh, living wow. 18 months without the money. Yeah. It just showed up one day in my bank account. I had to literally research where this money, who this money came from. Like, where does this money account come from? Number There's a what? random deposit. Yeah. In an account that I don't, I very seldom use, which was what kind of struck me was I don't use that oh, account wow. normally. So to get a ping on your phone like that there's Christmas been a Day. deposit, it's like, wait, <laughs> there's been a deposit? And, and during the pandemic, everything was a, was yeah. a debit, you know, they're like, we took this out of here. Right. But no, this was, you know, just a deposit. It was a, quite a few things. And this was after things were looking bleak because the holidays were coming mm-hmm. up and it was like people, people seldom work during the holidays. Maybe they yeah. show up to work, but they're not working. Two weeks before Christmas, <laughs> game over. You're not getting that's anything. What it was that I was, you know, I, I got a little nervous, but then I had to kind of, like I said, pull back and go, mm-hmm. it'll work itself out. I yeah. didn't want to disappoint, you know, the people in Ohio. I wanted to stick to the yeah. schedule. I told them that because that's how I work. I like to stick to my word. That's yep. all I have have had my entire life was my word. I ain't no money for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when I told somebody something, I like I have to stick to Just that. stand up for it. Yeah. Yep. And so I didn't want to go back on my word, change the schedule. And I know in filmmaking mm-hmm. schedules change, but mine wasn't. I was like, yeah. oh, we going to Ohio. And you did a fantastic job. All the correspondence <laughs> leading up to that. I mean, you were calm You didn't know the there was no money. Through. Oh, I, I had no idea. <laughs> because I, and it was just like, I just said, it'll work itself out. And it yeah. literally worked itself out. Yeah. It worked itself out. Yeah. You know, and it was something as silly as the, the credit card thing. And then the, um, one of the things, this is so like spot on, ar- like kind of arbitrary. Mm-hmm. It was like the hotel that I wanted to stay at, that we, that we stayed at was yeah. right, right by like two or three blocks or whatever from the location. And this spot. is an older person, yeah. right? Like I want to stay at that hotel. The, ho- the credit card, after they tripled the limit, they mm-hmm. had these little rewards. Yeah. And one of the rewards was a discount off that hotel. Oh, nice. <laughs> that hotel of all hotels. Yeah. So it was just like, you know, all of these kind of really interesting things Yeah. when I was able to just... Universe is working for you. It'll it'll work itself out because yeah. that's the record that plays now. It's not a record of, what am I gonna do? Oh, I gotta find this. I gotta figure this out. It wasn't that kind of panic. Yep. You know, and that's the way it used to be because I didn't know, you know, that there was any kind of control of mm-hmm. it will work itself out. Was not. A, I'm saying it with a shrug, but it really was me telling the universe. Yeah. Work itself out. Work well, yourself out. That's incredibly powerful, and that calm approach and that demeanor, I think it it pays dividends. You know, it helps whenever you have a situation that's a little tense, <laughs> calm under pressure. Yeah, great results. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's a good segue point into <laughs> what we were doing in Ohio. If we can talk about it a little bit, but also your upcoming work because it just seems like the professional trajectory for you right now looks kind of like kind of like this. I welcome that. Maybe you know, I it's way it. it's way up. And it's awesome. I, I'm I'm just I'm so proud and happy to know that that's the direction because you're so talented, and I just think it's it's going to keep on yeah. going. So, <laughs> so we were in Ohio, and again, everything starts with a backstory. So one day in Ohio, Ohio, rewind back to two <laughs> years ago, uh, right after the Super Bowl stuff in in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on Twitter, and this incredible sports journalist named Richard, I think it's Richard Deesh. 
works for like the Atlantic or something like that. Anyway, nice, he's an nice. awesome dude. But he he uh, tweets out something about this book called Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hail Mary, you know, you know that as a football term. Yeah. So um, I start, you know, I look at the book hadn't come out yet. So I look to see who who's involved with this book. Mm-hmm. It's two journalists who wrote this book about a national, the National Women's Football League that this entire league that took place in the 70s. Yeah, something most people, it. yeah. I mean, you're a sports guru, right? A, right? You don't know about it. So I did, like, never heard of it. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my goodness. So I just tweet back and I don't even tweet a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm more so like one of those Twitter, like, you know, what do you call it? Like, I don't want to say a stalker. I don't stalk a lurker. Just kinda, look, lurk. <laughs> That's a good word. I lurk on Twitter. I got to read it because I use it for like news and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I tweet out, that sounds like it would make an incredible movie. <laughs> I didn't even know anything about the book other <laughs> dot, than, dot, dot. other than what it was. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Richard is just like, this journalist t- reaches out to the authors via Twitter and at, you know, at does an at thing for me. He's like, mm-hmm. this is an incredible writer, screenwriter who works with like CBS sports sometime and blah, 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 kind of bigging me up. Yeah. He's like, you know, you guys should connect. So we, by the end of the week, we were on a Zoom. I was on a Zoom call with the two writers. Yeah. The book wasn't coming out until probably eight months from from then. Mm-hmm. But they I, they were able to get me an advanced copy of the book. Because mm-hmm. um, I was like, look, I don't know how it will become a movie or TV show or whatever. But mm-hmm. if it does, I want to be a part of it. Um, and so they sent me the book and I read it, you know, probably within like a week or something like that. Incredible yeah. book. So yeah. Hail Mary. I mean, really, I can't plug it enough. It's a phenomenal book. But in the book... It's about the entire league. Mm-hmm. In the book, one of the storylines is about this this uh, football team called the Toledo Troopers. Troopers. Right? The Toledo Troopers were recognized back in the 70s by the NFL as the winningest pro football team of all time. All time. We think it's the Miami Dolphins 75, right? Sorry. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> and they're, they, the Hall of Fame recognized this, this group. They won six years straight. Six Undefeated. Years. Yeah, yeah. And then you kind of go a little bit more uh, micro, Mm -hmm. starting really macro, go a little bit more micro. The sort of, not to blend sports, but the Michael Jordan of that team was Mm -hmm. this woman named Linda Jefferson. And Ms. Linda, LJ. LJ. So that's why we were in Ohio. Um, Last year, I pitched pitched a story about LJ, about Linda Jefferson, to the NFL. I got the chance to meet and talk with some folks there. And I had some story ideas and they were listening. Yeah, so yeah. they reached back out and was like, that sounds like a good story. You know, would you be interested in doing it? And I'm like, come on now. You got to ask me if I would be interested in doing it. <laughs> I told you about this. Yes, I'd be interested in of doing course. it. So they've been, they are incredible. Yeah. I mean, two women at the top that's just like running things. Yeah. You know, one of them has DC. She's not from DC, but she has DC ties. I think mm-hmm. she went to AU, uh, American University, I mm-hmm. believe. I don't want to misspeak, but just phenomenal professional yeah. i mean just phenomenal women and they wanted to tell this linda jefferson story and i could not be more honored to be the one to yeah. tell it right so that's where that came came up and mm-hmm. so you and i had spoken prior to you know this mm-hmm. and you telling me all of the stuff that you're doing so i was like look <laughs> i have a chance to do something where i'm at the helm yeah. And hey, let's just let's work together on this. Yeah. Let's give you a chance to branch out from some of the stuff that you were tradition, you know, traditionally doing yeah. some of the stuff yeah. you've been doing. It's somewhat in the same realm in that it's yeah. kind of interview oh. based, but the platform on which this will be seen is a right. lot different. Yeah, what were in you honor. About to say? I was going to say it was an honor to just to be able to have that conversation with you and be considered. And uh, I, I still think about it, and I'm so appreciative of the opportunity. <laughs> I just have to say that right here. And, and uh, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. 
she Miss Linda is a, an amazing person. Yes. Super funny. Uh, unexpectedly funny. Yeah, she was great. <laughs> she was hilarious. <laughs> pulp. Don't give her orange juice with pulp in it. That I could <laughs> I will never forget it. But um we had the chance to go, you know, I set the whole thing up for um j- early January and mm-hmm. we were able to January 2023 we were able to go to yep. Toledo and interview this legend who is, you know, most again, I wasn't around in the 70s, so I didn't know she was on all these talk shows mm-hmm. all these competition Magazines, shows magazine covers billboards yeah uh, i'm talking gma not to just speak you know arbitrarily but talking about good morning america we're talking mm-hmm. about phil donahue mm-hmm. dinah shore the superstars was this competition show that took place back then where all of the you know they had a women in the men's version yeah. and she was one of the women on the women's side yeah. sort of like a what's the show that they have now with the obstacle courses oh it's a ninja warrior ninja, i love ninja warrior yeah I, the name slipped my mind but i do watch it but it was sort of like a little bit like that yeah. a little bit more dialed back but um you know you would have althea gibson a legend mm-hmm. in tennis like running playing basketball and shooting hoops it was, yeah. a, it was a fun yeah. thing that they did back then uh, and they tried to rehash it later but i don't know if mm-hmm. it worked but she was a part of that so she was a part of all of these incredible things mm-hmm. in this league that apparently was niche because not a lot of people knew about it, but these women right. who had written a book, these two journalists mm-hmm. had written this book about that. Yeah. And so that's how we met. And, you know, that's how I met the journalists. But then that snowballed into what we've done. And right. I still, you know, to this day, they haven't it hasn't become mm-hmm. a TV show or a movie yet. But I'm constantly I will honestly admit that I'm on my side, constantly doing everything that I can. Yeah. You know, and they probably like. I don't know what they think about that. Like, I'm really, I bring it up in conversations when I meet with companies. Right. Like, look, this is something to consider. And this yeah. is something that I would love to be a I part of. I could see that on the big screen. <laughs> I feel like it would be such a great story It to, is a great story. Yeah. Up against the backdrop of women's liberation, there mm-hmm. was Title IX. Title IX you know, at the time. All, of that yep. t- all that stuff is in the backdrop. There were yeah. certain expectations, even more so ten- than today, uh, when it comes to what women are, what makes a woman. And then these women mm-hmm. go against the grain and become tackle football players. Yep. So they're hitting their moms. They're yeah. nurses. They're all of these things, but then they take it out on each other on that yeah. gridiron. So it's it is an incredible story. <laughs> oh, that would come across it. so perfectly in a film. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's it's you know, people constantly compared it to a league of their own. Obviously, mm-hmm. the comparison is there. But I like to kind of push back and say, you know, a league of their own is incredible, TV show and a movie. Yeah. But football is inherently a different experience Very much so. than baseball. Yeah. And baseball translate diff- translates differently on the screen, but I mm-hmm. think football is an experience that is unmeasured like it's, yeah, it's more visceral yeah it's, it's really I mean, it's, it's contact yeah and so to be able to see something like that play out and then it's with we've seen some good football movies but to see it mm-hmm. with women is a little different yeah very um, much so. because of the narrative that that is even to this day yeah that kind of is in the i don't even say in our shadow but just that follows it's a narrative that kind of hovers over women like an umbrella yeah that we almost can't get from underneath, you know, yeah. when it comes to what makes a woman a woman. Right. And that has branched out. And so to say that in the 70s, we're even talking about, I don't know for sure that there were any trans women there, but mm-hmm. that's, a you know, in tell, being a storyteller right. today, we can explore that through a fictional character that Absolutely. we may not be able to name, but we can explore that and what yeah. that meant then. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so hungry for that story. Like, yeah. I want that, <laughs> you know. I feel like I, I, you know, I feel like even me being joking, I like to jokingly say my mom, in the way she raised me, she would have been the perfect mother yeah. for a kid who was part of the LGBTQ plus yeah. community. But she was left with a boring straight girl. I jokingly <laughs> say that to people. They're like, you're not boring. I'm like, you look at it on paper. I'm a boring straight woman. But 
even with that, it's the empathy and yeah. being able to want to tell stories from right. other people's experiences and being, being aware enough and having the wisdom enough mm. to bring them in to help tell their own story. Exactly. So I wouldn't even try to tell a trans person's story. Yeah. But I would say, hey, we have a trans person in this story. We're going to do that. Right. Let's bring in someone to speak to this, to this audience. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when you're looking at what's next, uh, even on the ride over, there were just like ideas popping left and right. So <laughs> yeah, about some stuff. If you can yeah. give people an idea of where your mind is moving forward, uh, what are the goals for 2023 and beyond? I mean, it's it's maybe hard to even think about all of it. And you even mentioned that it's like there are too many to even talk about. But um, <laughs> it is. I think about my own goals, and it's it's sometimes hard to quantify them or put package them in certain ways. And and you know things just come out of the ether at times, you know, projects land in your lap that you, you hadn't anticipated, but they represent really good challenges and really good storytelling opportunities. But for yourself, what does it look like? Well, in general, so speaking macro again, mm -hmm. I, in general, want to use story, whether it's today or a million years from now mm -hmm. in this experience that I want to use story to kind of help people to kind of see this whole experience that we're in, yeah. you know, being these spiritual beings on this journey of being a human to kind of help make that a little bit more, I don't want to say easy, but maybe a little bit more or less, uh, complicated yeah confusing. you know i think that's a good word to use because if i think we could kind of yeah. there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of the word should is one of those words that kind of use it sparingly yeah you know it, because we can get into a point where we sh we feel like we should do something we shitting all over ourselves right yeah <laughs> we get into that so i want to be a good quote right there <laughs> stop shitting all over ourselves <laughs> but we use should i should do this i should be this i i should yeah. think this you know and so we you know, we start doing a lot of things based on should hovering over us. Mm -hmm. So for me, I want to, you know, use story to kind of help people to understand like what your, your own personal journey here is yours alone. Exactly. Uh, there are some groups that you may fit in inherently. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's some groups that you might be choosing to be in that you don't really fit in. Right. And, but you feel like you should fit in them mm -hmm. and because for whatever, it could be fear, you know, yeah. uh, fear of the afterlife or right. fear of just something that you don't know. So I feel like I, I, I should be a part of this because it'll secure some other things when, you know, right. other things in the future, whatever the case may be. But, um, but yeah, so it's like, it's hard to kind of, to kind of truly say what I specifically want to do and how I specifically want to tell stories. Mm -hmm. I do know that I love TV film and yeah. the other <laughs> as being a part of it. Yeah. Um, the other being the unscripted yeah. that I joked about, uh, but it's still, you know, alternative storytelling. We're in such a good time now though, <laughs> too, for you to be in the position you're in and tell these stories in this way in a media driven world. I mean, what better time to right. reach a big audience than right now? So yeah. it's, it's kind of an, I feel like I it's that. fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And so I, I do want to use story in that way to help mm -hmm. people. Um, and so like, for instance, there are a lot of things that come out that are in the, I use the word like in the zeitgeist, like mm -hmm. things that are just in, whether it's media just happening in the world mm -hmm. to kind of help to structure like the backdrop of certain stories. And yeah. one of the things that I was telling you earlier was about, you know, rugby kind of came into a really weird place in my life last year yeah. where I was searching for, I knew the story that I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. But I was using, uh, I, I didn't know what, what uh, sport I wanted to use. Right. And I thought about all of the major ones, at least the four major ones. Well, let's say five with, with football, yeah. with soccer here in America. And 
thought about the pros and cons to each of them and eliminated all of them mm-hmm. um, that I couldn't use as the vehicle to tell this other, because all of my stories are really at their core human stories. Right. Couldn't, couldn't really make use of them for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, baseball, again, a yeah. league of their own is out. Yeah. Uh, just didn't want to use baseball. Basketball is very overused. There's right. a million basketball yep. stories, no matter which way you cut it, they're being in movies. Yep. You know, football just looks stupid if it's not the NFL. I yeah. don't care what you do. If, <laughs> I don't care if it's not the NFL, if it's not an NFL game. If you have made it, honestly, if there's a movie about football, mm-hmm. it look it the, the football part of it looks stupid. The outf- the uniforms don't look right. Yeah, just the whole thing just does not. It just does not translate. And yeah. I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it just yet. Some yeah. football movies have been better than others, mm-hmm. but the actual football part of it just doesn't look right. Yeah. And then, you know, hockey has that cumbersome uniform like football where I, mm-hmm. I didn't want that for yeah. this story. Yeah. And then soccer, my favorite show right now is Ted, Ted Lasso. Lasso. Hey, like season they, uh, three coming, coming around. Yeah, yeah. So it's just Getting like Ted Lasso. I'm like, I'm not touching soccer because yeah. they've done that. I'm not even going to try to do yeah, it. Yeah, they did it well. So Very well. And so, um, you know, I was looking for another team sport that kind of mm-hmm. gave me the opportunity to tell an, another story that yeah. I wanted to tell. So we mentioned earlier in this conversation, music and sports played a great. Mm-hmm. And I like to bring this full circle because I never touched on the sports part other than yeah. being a part of the Super Bowl. But as a kid growing up, I played a lot of sports. But mm-hmm. when I dreamed, I never dreamed of being, you know, uh, was with someone, Dominique. I was going to say Dominique Dolls. I didn't, I didn't dream of being her. I, she's the first person. She yeah. be the whole, whole squad. Like I'm trying to think of like women basketball players that I yeah. like, but I didn't dream of doing what they do. Right. I dreamed of owning a team. Not necessarily wow, WNBA. Yeah. It was it was WNBA, and and I loved hockey when I was a kid. So yeah. I loved hockey when I was a kid, and so I dreamed of owning a hockey team. Yeah. Um, I was a huge football fan, and still is. So I've always dreamed of being an owner. That's an incredible dream. You think about? I didn't think about that like yeah. that as a kid, though. Of course, of course. It was just this is what I want. I would doodle all the time, you know, and I would draw stadiums and say, yeah, this is a seventy thousand person stadium, and it's located. And I was, oh, and I had wow. map. I used to be a map collector. Yeah, I used to collect maps when I was little, and I would look on the map to see where something was and I was like well this would be a good spot for a stadium mm-hmm. and so <laughs> like I had like the plans together for these things latitude and longitude right here <laughs> like I literally looked on the map and was like my stadium would be it was like this place out in Maryland yeah so don't even <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> but um yeah so I was like you know I wanted to own teams and yeah. so again last year I was putting together some thoughts for for a new pilot a mm-hmm. new half half an hour kind of more drama than comedy sort of like the right. chef I mean the chef goodness the bear they could about the chef they call the bear a comedy it's not yeah. really that comedic but it's a great show but something um sort of in the vein of that but just obviously a different mm-hmm. I wanted you to feel like that but just in a different industry right right and it, it centers on a woman who comes into sports ownership in a very unique way. Yeah. And it's it's a phenomenal story. And using that, I was reading the trades earlier this year. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be vague because everything is sort of still being yeah, of like course. ink yeah. drying type of thing. But um, reading the trades this year, another one of those situations happened. I'm always reaching out, whether it's Twitter. As you heard, everyone who I've met, it seems like in the last three years, I've met because, hey, let me just write this letter yeah. or tweet or whatever. Right. But I read about this filmmaker who had done a documentary about somebody in rugby, like college Mm -hmm. rugby or something. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Maybe I should send him an email congratulating him on this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> just to congratulate him. And I wanted to kind of connect because of the rugby thing. I'm like, it's not that many people in America. Right. That's really even focused on it, let alone yeah. in sports. Pretty I mean, underrepresented in the, in the writing, sport. in the filmmaking yeah. space. Right. Yep. That's telling stories that deal in that realm. So I reached out to him and we jumped on a Zoom, our thing. 
and we chatted for well over an hour, just kind of riffing, you know, just kind of talking about story, talking yeah. about some of the stuff he's working on and everything. Yeah. And that has just manifested into so much more that I can't even really talk about. But yeah, it just, again, right. it was exacerbated by a conversation about rugby and mm-hmm. how that's such a cool sport. It's underrated. It yeah. should have more eyes on it. It's, it's a really fun experience to watch. And we'll see if my my pilot eventually becomes something. But then we'll also see, you know, I'll be the first to let you know in any updates about yeah, telling stories, you know, telling yeah. the story about rugby mm-hmm. in general for America, but generally for the world. Yeah. Whether that, you know, how that comes together soon. That kind of all comes back to where what I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. There are all of these stories, funny enough, in my catalog because I have a, a number of TV, uh, number of pilots yeah. and TV shows that are sort of developed on my end and a number of features, about 50-50. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now I am working to set those things up, having like a ton of meetings and things to try right. to get some of this stuff into the right place. Yeah, And I'm also on my end, I've you know finished probably about, four weeks, about a month ago, finished reading, uh, writing the first draft to what I foresee to be my first feature as a, cause I've directed a ton of stuff, but I've never directed a feature film. Right. Right. So this would be it's a big step. It is, yeah. it is. And it's written specifically with, you know, not a ton of locations to be mm-hmm. a, you know, uh, and that's funny that this came up too. I was, I jumped on the phone with someone and I told them exactly what I'm telling you now. I yeah. just finished my, my feature that I'm doing some rewrites on, but it's mm-hmm. a good story. It's about a music producer, mm-hmm. a young female music producer yeah. who's 31 years old. She's, you know, got her nine to five that she hates. Mm-hmm. She wants to produce music. Um, and it, it sort of kind of explain, not explains, but kind of depicts what that is. And the best way I can describe it is we've, we know what Kanye West does. And yeah. that's sort of like, it, it's a, allegory about he he's not a character in the story but yeah allegorically it sort of shows how a person like that can influence younger mm-hmm. people um and so she wants to do sort of the same thing that he does and there's a lot of great music producers yeah but he's a, fo- a popular person to use as an example yes but creating music while you're not a musician don't read music and don't mm-hmm. have the same training as real musicians right. or real musicians and how that art form in and of itself can be an art form. Yes. Like it doesn't look like it on paper because you don't know any of the things to make it an art form, right. but it is. And it's wonderful. And it's, it's a really cool, uh, really cool piece that, that has some magical realism in it. Mm. And it's, you know, it's a, a, a soft drama, you know, just about this woman's journey, this mm. young woman's journey. And, I was speaking to someone and I was like, yeah, this is going to be a low budget film. And for not to alarm anyone, low budget in the film industry mm-hmm. is like under five, six million. Yeah. So that sounds like a lot to most people, right, five million dollars. Right. But I mentioned that to someone and they said, this is a producer, someone who's trying to do more producing. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to raise, you know, this money. And he yeah. said, OK, I got you. Yeah. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> I wasn't even asking. Repeat yourself, please. I said, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm looking to do this movie on about two, you know, and I want to have, you know, money for the marketing and all that. Mm-hmm. And the, the response was okay from someone who wants to finance movies. Yeah. So you, again, believe, I believe it. I, I didn't necessarily specify. I wasn't specific in saying believe he needs to be this person. Yeah. But I told myself, I was like, I'm going to do my first feature I'm going to do my first, and the, the part that I could control yeah. was writing it. Yep. I didn't, I couldn't have that conversation with him if I never wrote the script. Well, exactly. I could have, but it'd be silly. Right. But I told him, coming into it, I told him I was already, the script is 106 pages, nice little, you know, I might shave off a few, but it's a nice lower end page wise count yeah. for a script. 
Um, you know, and I just told him, I want, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm doing this year. I'm yeah. going to be raising money at some point this year. And his response was okay. <laughs> so, okay. So Good response there we are. To have. <laughs> so as far as what I can control in all of that story is yeah. that's the part I know that I'm going to be doing for the foreseeable futures. Right. D- tinkering away. I'm putting, I'm writing out, um, summaries now I've written mm-hmm. out my log line. Like I'm doing all of the stuff I learned yep. in roadmap writers yep. to put together this story so that whenever I speak to people about it, I can speak more eloquently than I just did about it. Um, that's what I can control. Yeah. Um, I can't, it's some other stuff that I can't, but right. you know, those other things, whether I make this movie about this or make mm-hmm. this TV show about these football players, whatever, yeah. I can't control that. Right. Yeah. I just put out there that I believe I'd be the perfect person to tell those stories. I think I, think I do yeah. them justice and all that, but yeah. Well, that's a fascinating and exciting journey that you're embarking on with this because to have the support of somebody in the industry, a producer of that magnitude, who's, who's willing to hop on board and be of assistance again, just like the boost in confidence and the boost of that creative ignorance, if you will, but <laughs> that's, coming into reality. There's fruition to it at this point. And that's so, so powerful for your journey. But I wanted to sort of ask, looking back at this point, you see this journey and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you've gone down this road. Who do you see at this point um, whenever you reflect on where you've been and where you are now? Um, I can honestly say like, I am super happy now with the ignorance, like really pursuing life like a child. Yeah. Um, it, it feels newer, even though I said, I know when I was a child, mm-hmm. I lived life like a child. I was given the permission mm-hmm. parentally to be a child. Yeah. But that's how I've, I feel like I've gotten back to the, to that yeah. point. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the wealth of self is all about taking away little pieces of knowledge. And that could be from a victory, which you've had many or defeats, which you've also had many. <laughs> but if you were sharing that message with somebody listening or watching, what would it be? What would you tell them? What is that thread of wealth that you've taken away from all these experiences? So like, how do I define it? So like with, with wealth, um, we had, um, a lot of folks may initially think of something tangible, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we can hold on to. But for me, it's understanding that control part, that, that, that mental control that mm-hmm. again, throughout my, most of my life, I just didn't know we had, I didn't know we could, you, you could stump your toe and just not feel like it's the end of the world. You know, it, it, you can kind of say to yourself certain things or, yeah. or help yourself or force yourself to believe certain things. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say force. That sounds horrible, <laughs> but you're not going to force this guide, but yourself. you can kind of exact. That's puzzle. Thank you for helping me out with the words. <laughs> like sometimes you can have so many words in your, in yeah. your head, you can't even think of them. But, um, but yeah, it kind of can guide you to, you know, uh, believing certain things. So right. for me, when it comes to wealth, it's understanding that you can, you can actually control your own reality. Mm-hmm. And that what that means is like truly controlling how you perceive things. Because yes. as I mentioned earlier, you can look at something and see it or have an experience and mm-hmm. see it one way, yeah. the exact same experience I could have and see it a totally, totally different, different way, see the yeah. totally different things in it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there's the examples are abundant in that, but when you, get to a point, or at least for me, when I got to a point where I realized that I'm controlling my own reality. And it yeah. doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean the exact specificity of things right, that of I've course. gone through, but it's just how I perceive them yeah. and perceive that, whoa, I can do this. Like mm-hmm. that ignorance that you can get back to, it's a good ignorance. Yeah. Then we joked early about the limitlessness of it all, because yeah. you will feel limitless um, when you 
live that way when you right. kind of feel and it's not reckless abandon but it's it's just this freedom yes i think very much i so. think that that's what that's probably a better word within all of those words to kind of sum it up like yeah. wealth is sort of like that's freedom absolutely it's like really truly uh, living this experience feeling free yeah and i think your your words of wisdom about perspective and being able to see the world the way that you want it you can make that happen yeah I think each of us have that power, but having good mentors, um, having, you know, people you can look up to uh, that have sort of shaped that path for you and then starting to embody it and put it into action, incredibly powerful. So I just, uh, I'm so thankful that you were able to come in today and and talk to me. I have absolutely loved getting to know you more and getting to actually (laughs) work with you and interact with you in a creative space. Um, You're, you're, you're powerful. You really are. And your words are powerful. I received it. I don't even know if we made it, if we, if this made it into the cut, but when I mentioned the, the Oprah and, and Richard Branson. Yes. So I'll say that again. That's, that's sort yeah. of the goal. Yeah. That is sort of the goal is to, is to, again, not to walk in the footsteps right. of anyone or be exactly like anyone, yeah. but watching people who you truly admire what they're doing and the, person, the people that they're being, generally speaking, we don't know any of these, of these people we look at, but Say so, okay, you know, and and uh, like I said, um, Sir Richard Branson and and Oprah, some of the things that they've built, I'll, I'll at least say, yes, and the way that they've built things and presented it to us um, is truly admirable. So I, I hope to be able to be one of those kinds of uh, thought leaders, and yeah, it, whether some people think it's provocative or not, but just to be some, you know, a person yeah. that people can tune into and and be able to see whether it's through stories or my literal words mm-hmm. here or play the platform like this mm-hmm. is to be able to take something away from it that then sparks their own research, their right. own exploration, their own answers. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And that's what the root of this is. It's just one story. It's just one anecdote. It's just one account. And uh, the right person listening or watching can flip a switch and everything's <laughs> different. So yeah. thank you so much for your time. Appreciate and uh, I look forward to everything else that hopefully we have in store with one another. Um, <laughs> but I'm keeping an eye out for all of your upcoming work. And it's uh, it's inspiring to say the very least. Cool. Thank you so much. And Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth of Self podcast. The audio-only version of these stories can be found on nearly every major podcast streaming platform from Spotify to Apple Podcasts and many, many more. Your support as we grow this movement is immensely appreciated. You can help us out by leaving a rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend or a loved one who you feel would benefit from hearing these stories. Finally, If you're interested in seeing the video interview that accompanies these stories, head over to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page for the full viewing experience. While you're there, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe or follow the channel, and share your thoughts in the comments section. For additional information on how to support the Wealth of Self, head over to www.wealthofself.com. Thank you so much for your viewership. We'll see you on the next one.